You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. We are on a journey to find the information that's going to help you play the best golf of your life. Join us now as we dive in. Welcome, everybody, to the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough, here with a very special guest, Tony Gentlecore, and it looks like his cat. And, yes, uh, my, my cat just made an appearance. So that I know people can't see because they only have audio here, but my cat just, you know, popped on my lap and <laughs> wants to be part of this. Yeah, not <laughs> wouldn't be the first time for me either for my cats to wander in front of the video or something like that. Anyway, so back to the intro. Tony is a, the owner of Core, which is a fitness studio, and he's also an author. If you find a fitness magazine or website or wherever, you have probably read an article from Tony because he is all over the place and has written thousands of articles. So thank you, Tony, for coming on. And oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I might be your first uh, guest that has never gone under par in their golf game. Oh, I'm, I'm, I doubt I'm above it. Par. <laughs> I've, I've had, a, had a few other people that aren't golfers either. So okay. well, that, I'm in that camp. So, uh, you know, but yeah, thank you for having me. I was like, I, I love talking shop and, you know, I know we'll be talking about training with rotational athletes and whatnot. So looking forward to it. Yeah, exactly. So I, so obviously you just said you weren't a golfer. Um, so you, how many times have you uh, gone out and played or, or I, you know, I had, I have a few old time friends who back home, back home, which is back in New York, I'm in Boston, but back in New York who are golfers, I golfed with them way back in the day, like once or twice. Um, so I think I've played actual golf golf, maybe twice. Uh, and then there's a smattering of, of, of mini golf and maybe a couple par three courses too. But, um, but yeah, not, not, I can count on one hand for sure. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that doesn't mean you don't know the human body and how to get the best out of it. So that's exactly why we got you on here. But before we kind of get into some, a little bit of that, I'd love to chat with you uh, a little bit about what you've been sharing on some of your social media here of, of late sure. in the last oh, month or so, I think it was. Uh, you were having a back issue and oh boy yeah. on that so so uh, I, I call it a, a more of a back niggle yeah uh, you, you know I, I like to lift heavy things um, and I, I, I always just chalk it up to it's like inevitably it is going to happen you're going to have a niggle whether it be the knee the shoulder the low back the ankle um, in this case what I was doing was nothing remotely sexy uh, I was bending over to pick up the barbell to do a an offset landmine row. So basically the land, the landmine was to my left. Uh, and I was just going to hold it on my left side to do a row. And, and then all of a sudden I bent over and my, my back just seized up on me. Um, so definitely musculature. Uh, but I would say it was like a good three or four days of, um, you know, heating pad and, uh, a little, like, oh, ah, every time I was moving around, <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh, but, uh, but certainly I, I, I didn't take that as a case. I didn't use it as a, an excuse not to still try to do something in the gym. So I think within the week 
I was definitely back to my regular, regular training. I mean, I was training all along, but um, yeah, it, it, just an annoying, stupid back niggle. Yeah. Niggle. I like that word. So, um, yeah, I remember when I, when I turned 30 a few years back and it was like the same weekend and no, it was when I turned 31. Cause the pandemic had just started. And so I turned 31 and then, you know, just a lazy weekend. It's like, Oh, I got a, basically a free weekend off of nothing doing going on. Cause everything's closed. And so just sat around and, and whatnot. And I, I think it was the Monday I got up and I was like, Oh, I can't move my back. So I had a little back niggle that way, that, <laughs> that yeah. time too. Yeah. So. It, you know, and I always, I mean, I have clients and athletes and it happens. It happens. I mean, it, it, you yeah. know, certainly uh, nothing, nothing that no one listening has never had to deal with, but um, certainly not a, a, a serious injury. Like I didn't herniate a disc or, right. you know, any, or I didn't, it wasn't anything debilitating, but, um, but, but anyone who's active, remotely active, I mean, like I said, inevitably, it's something that just kind of like tosses you a little bit of curveball and, you know, you work around it for a couple of days and then you're back to normal. Thankfully that was the case. That would have, uh, you know, I, I, I had a more significant injury last, last summer, like at the start of the pandemic where I ruptured my Achilles. Oof. Um, so that, that was, that was an actual injury injury. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, that, that I got the sympathy votes from the wife on, on that one. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was coming up on a year now. So the, my year anniversary will be, I think late May. But, um, but yeah, the back stuff was something I, um, I always like to, to showcase to people like, you know, if you're injured, you can still train, uh, you know, and like, let's, let's, I call it the trainable menu. Um, you know, I, I really think it's an important message to, to showcase to people that, you know, you can, you can train pretty much around any injury, uh, you know, just find what you can do rather than focusing on what you can't and, and let's get after it. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about here mm-hmm. with you is, you know, what, how do you kind of, where do you go with getting people to figure that out a little bit? Um, and how, I mean, how did you fi- kind of figure it yeah. out with what you could do that day or that week? Oh boy. Um, I want, I, I originally uh, heard the term, I think uh, a colleague of mine, Chris Chase, um, I, uh, Mike Robertson's podcast was the first person I heard say the term. Uh, and I, I believe Chris at the time was the strength and conditioning coach for USC baseball. Uh, now I believe he's somewhere in the NBA. I, I don't know what team he's with, but very, very smart, bright guy. Uh, and when he said the term and I heard him say, it, I was like, Oh my God, that is amazing. Like I, I need to, <laughs> I need to kind of somehow use this term and I like to give credit. So Chris is the one I heard it from first. And this is like probably four, four or five years ago. Um, and I, I, in my, even at my days at Krusty sports performance where you know, we worked with a lot of baseball players or I worked with a lot of baseball players there. And we had many players come in post Tommy John surgery or um, right. any, any litany of injuries or, um, and we try to showcase them. Yeah. Okay. You don't have access to your throwing arm right now, but you have access to your lower body. You have access to your non-injured arm. You have access to your core. Let's train the heck out of that and like still mm-hmm. make some progress and give you a training effect and that way, when you are out of your sling and then you are like starting the rehab, I've always found that the rehab goes a little bit more seamlessly. Uh, I mean, it's never a linear line, of course. There's always like ebbs and valleys and flows and stock market. Um, but I, but yeah, you you of all know any any physical therapist know like like you know everyone thinks it's a linear path. The but it's remote. It's not close to that. Nope. Um, so 
you know, with our players and athletes and our clients at Crest Sports Performance, it was an important message. And there's something that I've, that, that has stayed with me throughout the years, whether it was my own training. Thankfully, I don't get injured all the time. I know I just, I sound like I'm a walking, you know, ball of dysfunction. Um, back. But, uh, um, but even with my clients, like many, and they kind of know how I roll. Like they might say something. I mean, I know when to like, as you would say, call a mulligan and like, okay, let's pump the brakes. Let's, let's take a day off. Like listen to our body. Um, but more often than not, uh, outside of like a really serious injury that involves like an axe or a chainsaw, I don't know, like we, we dismemberment, um, we can, we can train around that injury, uh, usually. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, Steve Tripp, who's, um, um, a coach here in, in uh, New England, he has a, he has a training facility outside of uh, Providence, uh, Rhode Island a few years ago. I, I think he, I want to say he ruptured his bicep. Um, or maybe it might, it might, be, I've, but anyway, he, he basically said, okay, I don't have use of my arm, mm-hmm. but I'm going to, I'm going to train the heck out of my squat. Uh, and he used safety squat bar and he, and, and, and he, he basically came up with the, he, he's a, he's, he's insane. He like, he's one of the strongest humans I've ever, I've ever known or come across. Um, so he devised a way where he was like squatting like five times a week and, you know, he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to find, I'm going to make lemonade out of lemons. I'm going to train, yeah. I'm going to train something hard. Um, but I, but going back to the main umbrella theme, I just think, you know, if you're training through an injury or, or more, more specific around an injury, I do feel it makes the rehab uh, much quicker uh, just because you are kind of maintaining some semblance of training effect, but strength too. Um, and I just think it's an important message for people to hear. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what I talked to, you know, one of the first visits with everybody is always, okay, well, we got to get some, some blood flow to the area because blood flow is how healing process happens. Guess what? Sure. Going through a training menu, training stuff that you, you, you can train, um, even though you're injured or whatever that gets, it's a nice reframe. It's a beautiful reframe. Like I'm, I'm married to a psychologist, so she's had a lot of insight and, and a lot of inspiration for, you know, how I can, better use my words and how I can reframe things. Like I've, I've really gone out of my way to take out words like broken. We need to fix you. You're dysfunctional. Uh, I I really don't like using, I, they, they're omitted from my vocabulary altogether. Um, particularly if I'm working with somebody who's coming off an injury, like yeah, you're, yes, you're injured. Um, or I say non-health, whatever term we want to use, but it's just a really nice reframe to say, we're still going to train pretty hard and pretty aggressively. Um, and just focus on what you can do. Um, and I think people appreciate that. And then they soon realize that um, their injury isn't quite so um, uh, debilitating as they think. Yeah, I, mean, I think we've all seen the trainer or the therapist that, that, you know, they do their assessment and like, oh, that's terrible. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, oh that, time, man, that is, that's really bad. That's dysfunctional. And it's like, yep. okay, let's help. let's you're trying to build people up too at the same <laughs> time, you know, so you do have to be careful with your words. Uh, and whatnot. So I, I do like that, that thought process of, you know, avoiding saying broken, you know, like we are, we're, I got to fix this or we got to fix that or, or whatever. Um, so. And I, I think it's important because like, I think we're, I mean, fitness professionals are fall prey to this, of course, but, re- but regular people too, to think that, you know, asymmetry is bad. Uh, and that, you know, we have to fix every, we have to fix everything because, you know, one shoulder is more internally rotated than the other, or you might have a little anterior pelvic tilt, or, you know, you lack scapular upward rotation. I always tell people like, 
it's completely normal to to lack certain things like we don't live in textbooks like we're not made in textbooks like textbooks are standards uh you know and but but certainly like whether or not it applies to you is going to be dictated on the sport you play like your body type like your structure your anatomy um not to mention your your injury and health history so i i really try to instill in people that you know we you don't live in a textbook so um the the standard that we have to be symmetrical and perfect statues of david um it's just a really um, stark, uh, unattainable <laughs> metric yeah. to, to try to to try to 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 model our programming and, and training by. Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially as you're going with uh, with golfers, uh, where oh boy, you know, golfers you're constantly like, oh, constantly boy. doing this same same movement and whatnot. Oh, you get yes. a lot of asymmetries, uh, kind of inherently from that. And sure. a lot of times those asymmetries are what, what makes good golfers, good sure. golfers. Sure. Um, same thing for baseball players. Uh, yep. There's a lot of asymmetries that are uh, completely normal. And within the confines of the sport, uh, some, like, as you noted, sometimes makes them good at their sport. Um, I, a colleague of mine who you might be familiar with Nick Tumanello, um, he, he, he recently came out with a, a really good course I'm taking myself through right now. It's called the, the, strength symmetry evaluation uh and he references research saying between left and right side or between limbs um the bulk of the research out there will say anything more than 15 percent difference strength discrepancy may can probably be a problematic scenario now we don't need to like cut corners well what about 14 percent? what about 17 percent? what about it's like the 50 but there's got to be some like line drawn in the sand like 15 percent's the you know, the research, much of the research will back that up. Um, and it, if you see that, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's information. I wouldn't say it's a red flag right out of the gate, but if we're talking like a 20% gap or even 25, then yeah, that's something we're probably going to want to address. But if it's, you know, 10% difference in terms of strength or, 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 act, or um, access to range of motion or anything of that nature, um, that's complete. I think it's, I just tell my people it's normal. That is not something we need to spend the bulk of our time on. Like, I think it's more important that we get you a little bit stronger and we, we kind of, you know, get you access to a little bit more movement variability. Um, you know, as you noted, like you work with a lot of the golfers, I mean, they, they do the same repetitive motion over and over and over and over and over again. Um, so every time I've worked with golfers, uh, it's like showing them like, okay, what you do on the golf course is, is what's going to get you better at golf. Um, what we do in the weight room is not, is not supposed to emulate golf. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, it's, 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 there's certainly things we want to, there are metrics we want to prove to help you hit a golf ball further, or like, let's open up your hips. So you, you're not, you know, hurting your lower back anymore. Or let's improve your T spine mobility to help you get more, more whip in your, in your rotation or whatever we want to talk about. But um, really every time I've worked with golfers, it's like, let's do stuff that you you're not used to doing. Let's get you out of, uh, let's do more frontal plane work. I mean, they get a ton of rotation as it is. Um, but I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to be loading that rotation, uh, per se. Like you've, you've seen all the gimmicky YouTube videos where like, they'll, they'll, they'll have their club attached to a cable system yeah. and they're on, they're standing on an unstable surface and they're doing their golf swing. I'm like, you're not improving anything. <laughs> like, uh, you're you know, improving and, your ability to it, stand on an unstable surface and swing a. Yeah, if you want to be good at that, go for it. Fine. <laughs> um, 
And, and it's funny because I know Mike Boyle's talked about this. I mean, Eric Cressy's talked about it. I've talked about it. I mean, a lot of we could take a golfer and we can compare their program to a football player, and ninety percent of it is going to be the same. Uh, One hundred, like both are going to deadlift, both are going to squat, both both are going to throw med balls, both are going to do form, farmer carries. Like the idea, the objective is to you know increase strength and, 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 you know, get mobility where in the appropriate areas, we need mobility, stiffen them up where they need to be stiffened up. Um, so yes, hopefully they can, you know, uh, perform well on the golf course and hit a ball further and, and not get beat up and, you know, less wear and tear in the joints. Um, you know, there's no, like, I don't like whenever I've worked with the golfers, like I need a golf specific program. Um, I'm like, I'll say, okay, cool. Well, I'll write you a golf specific program. But in my head, I'm just writing a strength program based off what I feel is going to help them get stronger and perform better on the golf course. And, um, you know, I know, I know this is nothing new to your ears, but, or probably even your listeners ears, but um, yeah, to me, there's really no such thing as a baseball specific program or a golfing specific program. Um, I think one of the best analogies I ever heard with regards to baseball, for example, is Eric Schoenberg. Um, who used to be one of the, 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 the head physical therapists that worked at Krusty, out of Krusty Sports Performance. He, now he's down, in, he's down in Florida with Eric. I remember, I think he had a parent ask, oh, oh I need a, you know, I need, you know, I need a, a program to work on arm care, like, like for, my, for my, my, my kid who's a pitcher. Like we need a program really specific on his right arm because that's what he, and like Eric was like, well, we don't just throw, you don't just throw a baseball with your arm. <laughs> like the entire body is involved in that process. Yeah. Uh, so, and that, that could be go for golfers too. I mean, golfers are very, they want rotational power and it's like, okay, you don't just use your core. I mean, it's a big component of course, but um, I mean, your core isn't just your abs. It isn't just your hips. It's anything that's not an appendage really. Um, but um, yeah, I know I'm rambling, but. <laughs> no, it's all good. I, I, I agree. The, you know, and over the last few years, I think in golf particularly, You've seen a lot about like ground reaction forces. And I think baseball's sure. been been on that same kind of uh, whatever line um, path. Yeah, and it's like there strength. And- strength is. Um, I mean, th- th- there's the point where someone is strong enough. Um, yep. So when I say getting somebody stronger, like I'm not training power lifters per se. Like that isn't I, that is not my job. I'm, I'm going to get them really strong in the barbell lifts. Like that's not what I'm implying. I'm just implying that. Um, I mean, a lot of times, especially with my, my higher level athletes, whether they're baseball, golf, basketball, it's a lot of times my job as their coach is to pump the brakes and, and be like, listen, you're, you're strong enough. Like you, you trap our deadlift 405 pounds for reps. Like you you were strong. You getting, you getting your trap bar up to 500 pounds is not going to make you jump six inches higher. It's probably not going to make you hit a golf ball hundred yards further, you know, but there, but there's an inherent risk of like more injury because the amount of work it's going to take for you to get to that level. Um, but so when I say I want to get somebody stronger, yeah, it's about, it's about force application, rate of force development. Um, and there's two ways of doing it. There's, you know, the getting stronger component, lifting weights, and then there's a plyometric component of like moving, like moving weights fast or moving your body faster. Um, you know, that's where we talk about kettlebell swings or med ball throws. And, you know, we can have a conversation on, on, on Olympic lifts and stuff like that. Um, I don't personally, I don't, I don't do a lot of Olympic lifts with my, with my athletes just because I don't have a lot of experience myself with them. Yeah. I find I can get a lot of my power training and quotations, uh, with med ball stuff, with 
um, you know, uh, sled sprints or with kettlebell swings uh, and stuff like that. And, and, and I find most, most of the time uh, where people are going to get more power is just getting a little bit stronger and putting more force into the ground to be able to, you know, swing a golf ball harder and be able to sprint for faster and get out of the gate or jump higher. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. And then I agree with that. And I, I don't tend to go with most Olympic lifts because most of the time those people, I mean, that's a sport in itself, right? Sure. So sure. it takes, it takes a lot of uh, practice and, and whatnot and skill uh, inherently to do that. But do you tend to lean more towards like more unilateral work or single leg work versus double leg work or? I, you know, I would say I'm probably pretty um, um, in the middle when it comes to that stuff. Uh, I'm certainly not someone who's anti uh, barbell squatting or anti deadlifting. Um, however, th- I guess the caveat with me is like, I don't, um, excuse me, I don't, I'm not worried about people pulling, using a straight bar and pulling off the floor, like doing a conventional deadlift or any of that. Like most of my clients do trap bar deadlifts. Yeah. Uh, I just think they're a more spine friendly, safer way of deadlifting. Um, and even with regards to squatting, I have a, I mean, I have a safety squat bar. I have a duffalo bar. I have, I mean, there's, there's more, there's even like barbell friendly, that back friendly ways of squatting. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to single leg work, I, of course I love single leg work. Most like most of our lives, whether we're walking or playing sport is single leg dominant. So it only makes sense to train that capacity. Uh, so whether we're talking, you know, uh, you know, back foot supported, like where we're doing like Bulgarian split squats or we're doing one-legged RDLs. Uh, I, I, I go out of my way to really kind of like balance both. Um, I'm a big, strong advocate of like, okay, I'm not, I'm not like pro bilateral and like anti-unilateral pro, you know, unilateral, anti-bilateral. Right. It's like, it's, let's train both. Um, you know, that's, I just find it silly when you get on Twitter or Facebook um, and that's, that's the stuff that people are arguing about. And it's like, why? Right. <laughs> like it, it's really, I mean, what, what you do is really contingent on the, the individual you're working with, like what they need more, what he or she needs more of. Um, but more often than not, like they need both. Uh, yeah. And, and that's kind of how I approach it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes sense. You know, and that's kind of not a sexy answer. I know, but, um, you know, I, I try not to, I'm not, I'm not very contrarian, uh, it's the human, to me, the human body is the human body. You know, there's the variation comes from the assessment and like, and even then, like the point of my assessment is to figure out what variation of those lifts, you know, dictate the stance, um, even the type of the, of lift that we're doing. Cause I, you know, not everyone is built to, uh, squat very deep. Um, so, okay, I'll have you squat to above parallel, like, you know, we'll, we'll just use what you have access to. And then maybe down the road, we might get a little bit deeper or maybe we won't. I mean, um, you know, my, my expectation isn't that everyone has to, you know, squat the exact same way and deadlift the exact same way, you know, even, I mean, I even have, I'm even kind of lean into more asymmetrical stances, uh, when I have people squat and, and deadlift. So there might be a point where, you know, they might have a stagger stance and maybe their, their right foot is more externally rotated than their left. Um, you know, I, I kind of figure that stuff out during their initial assessment. And I, I actually lean into uh, more of the asymmetries and because we are, it, we, structurally, we are asymmetrical. So um, it's not to say that I might not need to, I might uh, address it and say, okay, well, that's a, 
that's a pretty significant asymmetry. We might want to bring you a little bit back more toward the middle, but more often than not, if I find a, if I find a stance uh, with their squat, for example, where, you know, it might be a little bit asymmetrical and it, it just feels more stable and powerful and it's less painful. Uh, I'm going to lean into it and use it. Yeah. And so, so you're basing that off of, of the, what you find on the assessment and not sure. necessarily to get like some kind of result out of it by doing the asymmetrical stances. Yeah. Or- I don't, I don't, um, I don't like to give like, cause I know, I mean, I've, I've taken the FMS course. I mean, I took it years ago. Yeah. Uh, I took it back in 2014. Um, I mean, there's, there's some things about the FMS that I like the functional movement screen. Um, and there's things about it that I don't like. And one of the things I don't like is just, uh, uh, like making people a number. Cause then they think they're that number. And then the, all they're, all they're worried about is like, I want to make my two or three, you know, three being perfect, two being passable. And really yeah. the goal is passable on any, on, on the whole screen. It's like, if you're a two, yeah. you're actually pretty good. Like, um, that's actually phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I mean, even if you're a one, it doesn't mean like you're, you know, you're, you're a evolved dysfunction. It's like, um, I mean, if you're a zero and there's pain, like that definitely is a red flag, but, yeah, yeah. um, so I don't, I don't like using that, that sort of system or anything similar where people start to define themselves by the number they're given, like, Oh, you're, you're a two on this movement. Or, you know, I, I, I just don't, I just don't like that, that connotation. Um, so I, I honestly, like when I assess people, like there's some table stuff I do, like I put them on the, the, the assessment table and I'm looking at, you know, active and passive hip range of motion, hip flexion, hip external internal rotation. I'm seeing what I can do, what they can do. Uh, I'm trying to see if there's a discrepancy there. Um, but honestly, I, I get them standing up and like moving. I say, yeah. show me your squat, show me your hip hinge. Um, you know, and then that's when I start to coach them up and I, I start to ascertain you know, what, what stances or widths or hand position, um, or even what barbells we're going to use for, for those individuals. That's where the individualization comes in. Um, um, I mean, every, like I said, every one of my clients is doing some form of squatting, deadlifting, pushing, pulling. It's just a, what, what variation of those lifts you're doing is where the individualization comes in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's take this conversation back uh, to where we started with the, with the low back pain and let's talk. Okay. About yes. That was, yeah. We got a little bit off track. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's go just talking a little bit about, you know, some of your favorite things, uh, to kind of help people, you know, golf, we have a high, uh, high issues with, with back pain. You know, we, we hear it in all the professional sports and I uh, came across a statistic that says, you know, more than a third of golfers after a round of golf experience back pain. Mm-hmm. So what, what are some tips that you have maybe that people can include in their training or whatever to, we'll say offset that or help m- minimize and only have niggles rather than a you know, more yeah, I think the easiest, my easiest entry point to that is, is the McGill three. Um, yep. So I'm a big fan of, of teaching particularly like, yes, plank, planks, but even more specifically like the, the bird dog and the dead bug. Um, to me, that's a, it's a great entry point to teach uh, core activation, spinal stiffness. Um, Cause to me, if you can't, if you can't control slow, you're not going to control fast. Yeah. So um, you know, and I'm not anti, I'm not someone who's like opposed to training rotation or training lateral flexion. I think we should train those, um, especially if they're part of the sport. I mean, that we don't play golf in a, in a perfectly upright posture, right? We don't play any sport in a perfectly upright posture. Um, but in terms of like back pain, 
you know, there, there has to be like a, a base level of like entry point. Like, you know, we, if, cause if you can't, if you can't be successful here doing a, a bird dog correctly or a dead bug correctly, and if those hurt your back, because you're moving through your back too much, or you're just not performing the exercises correctly, then that's a problem. So that that's the entry point. Um, yeah. And with the, and, and, and for many, 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 many people like that oftentimes is the fix. And then, cause that's teaching them context is teaching them. Okay. This is what a, a neutral, a quote unquote neutral spine is a stable spine, yeah. get it stronger there, build some endurance there. And then we can start loading it with our deadlifts, our single leg work, uh, then we can start adding in a little rotation where now we're, where you're getting your rotation a little bit more from your hips and not just your lower back. Um, cause like, cause it hurt before now it doesn't, um, right. you know, and then, and we can work on your thoracic, uh, extension and rotation. So now we're, cause I mean, a lot of, I mean, a lot of people are just locked up in that area. So they, they have to move from somewhere and they get it from their lower back. So, um, so a lot of times you just got to kind of look above and below the joint that hurts you know, that's probably where they need to kind of work on a little bit more mobility. Um, and with the low back, uh, really the name of the game is, is stiffness and stability. Um, yeah. You know, that's the entry point. And then once they're there, then we can kind of play around with, okay, now let's train lateral flexion, let's train rotation, um, and let's pick up the speed a little bit. Um, so that's generally how I, I approach um, a lot of my low back issues, particularly when I'm working with rotational athletes. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that. That's, that's true. You know, number of times I've made the mistake of, Oh, you know, they're, they're an athlete and they probably can, can, can handle this. We'll just jump right into, let's say it's like, you know, maybe a little bit more advanced, like maybe the payoff press or, sure. or, or even just like going into deadlifting and really realizing, Oh wait, they can't actually control the neutral spine very well. And all right, we got to regress back to the mat. I'll tell you what, like it's, it's, it's very rare. Like when I, when I actually screen for it, it's very rare that somebody can do a, a, a really good bird dog. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and, that, and, and, and the next layer from that is a pushup. Um, you know, as, as, I mean, I've had major league baseball players come in. I'm like, what, it, you can't do a pushup. I mean, they, they, they're obviously very great compensators and I'm not, you know, I'm not making fun of them, of course, but right. if there, if there's, if there's pain present when somebody is doing a pushup, um, yeah, I'm going to fix their pushup. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and they're, they're, I mean, the pushup to me, I'm not assessing their, their upper body strength. I am assessing their, their lumbo pelvic control. Um, and, and more often than not, like it, it is actually a very rare occurrence when somebody walks in and I, I look at their pushup and they're, they are performing it well. You yeah. know, I, I to, I'm a pretty hands-on coach and I'll, I'll put them into position. I was okay. Now, you need to own this position that I have you in right now. And I'll start tapping their abs. I'll start tapping their glutes. And I was like, own it, like corkscrew your feet and get more tension. Yeah, um, yeah. Cause that's the thing too, is a lot of people fail to realize how much tension is, is needed to, um, you know, protect the body, uh, particularly when, when lifting heavy things, like we want, we want a, a, a yeah. fair amount of, of tension involved. Um, I don't want someone to be loosey goosey when, when I'm loading them up, up on a deadlift or a squat. Um, and, and that, and these, these rudimentary exercises like the dead bug and the bird dog and these push-ups that's where I'm building context. Cause if they can't, if they can't ramp up their tension there and do those movements, well, there's no way when I, when I load them in any capacity that they're going to do well there. So, and I understand that these, these drills are not, uh, they're pretty inane. They're very vanilla. You know, I don't, I don't understand this term vanilla either. Like vanilla is a flavor. Like it's, <laughs> I, you know, to me, I like vanilla. Yeah. Um, 
but you know, I, I think people tend to roll their eyes at a bird dog and a dead bug. Oh my God, I do these all the time. You know, I, I went to PT, I do them. But then when I ask them to perform them, they're awful. <laughs> and then yes. They're not even feeling them in the right areas. Like I want, like when somebody does a dead bug, that to me is like anterior core central. Um, you know, I want them to emphasize the exhale. I want them to like get all the air out. I want them to get their ribs down. I want them to feel their, their anterior core, their abs turn on to the point where they're shaking. To yeah. me, I'm like, that shaking is good. To me, if you're shaking, you're doing it correctly. And uh, it's, it's that aha moment. Like their eyeballs pop up. Like, oh my God, like this is really hard. I was like, yeah, that's the dead bug. <laughs> like if you yeah. do it correctly, you're, 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 yes, that's what we want. And then if you, if you can't do it here, there's no way you're going to do it when I put a barbell on the, on the front of your shoulders to do a front squat. Um, so it's important to hammer home the basics with, with your athletes and your gen pop clients, because that that's where we build context. Yeah. I mean, you look at, you know, all the experts in the world, it, it oftentimes comes down to just their, their focus on the basics and being sure. so good at, at that. Um, and going back to what you were saying, you know, about seeing all these people, uh, you would think, Oh, high level athlete or, or whatever, they should be, be really good about doing this. And then you go and see, and it's just like, wow. I, I remember screening in PT school, you know, couple major league teams we were mostly going through fms and and some other screens that our professor had kind of developed uh along with it and just being like man i move better than you do i should be a major league pitcher <laughs> like yeah if only if only it were that easy yeah. right but i don't throw the ball 98 miles per hour so right, right. <laughs> and that's the thing too we can't assume either that's again that's that's a big no correlation why i don't i don't like those numbers because like there there's no there's there's little correlation with those you're right yeah. um you know, and like we said earlier, like a lot of what makes these guys successful is that asymmetry. And if you're going to, if you're going to try to fix it, like, eh, I don't, I don't know like, if you want to do that. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it, it, so it's important to assess. I just think we get too caught up in the weeds when it comes to assessing. I, I don't like putting people under a microscope uh, and making them feel like they're because like, they, there's this judgy connotation with assessment. Um, right. I very much want the assessment to feel like a training session. So they feel like they're getting something out of it that I'm not just being like a judgy jerk. Uh, and I'm like, yeah. Oh, this is wrong. Cause uh, it's just, it doesn't do anyone any favors. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've all been to, you know, the doctor or the, or whoever it may be and they run you through a few things and then they're like, okay, have a great day. And you go, what did I get out of this? You didn't really yeah, help yeah. me at all. Right. So I think I like your thought process, the assessment still, yeah, making them making them work, making them feel like they're doing something. And with the low back stuff, like I to me, far be it for me to like to like roll my eyes at somebody's pain. Like if someone has yeah. back pain, they have back pain. Okay, number one, I want to find out okay what positions or movements exacerbate it. So with golfers, I mean, it's a lot of like they're going to have one sided back pain depending on if they're left handed or right handed. A lot of times, it's going to be that that back hip. You know, so it might be lack of a hip internal rotation on the other side. It might be because their thoracic spine is not they don't have a lot of access there. Um, again, when there's pain present, I'm always going to peel back the onion a little bit more. Um, cause then again, I want to find out, okay, what, what exactly bothers it? What, what ramps it up? If we do this, like, can we do, can we do exercises that where, where that, that pain threshold doesn't get above a three? I don't know if you do the same thing where it's like, I like that scale, like one to yeah. 10, 10 being like jaws just bit off your left arm. One yep. being like, eh, you know, I, I like the number three, uh, you know, like during the session and the day after a session, 
uh, if it gets above a three, like that is information. So it might be a loading issue. Um, it could be a positional issue, of course, but um, a lot of times I think we over, as fitness professionals, we overthink things like, okay, we got, what correctives do I have to add in to fix this? Where it's like, no, like, look at your program. It, it just might've been too much load, too much volume for that session. So ramp it back a little bit, um, yep. slow it down. Like me tempo, it might've been a tempo, like, you know, like joints, like tempo. So, you know, time and time again, if, if someone's knee hurts or their back hurts or whatever, you know, during a deadlift, for example, it's like, I'm not just going to like, okay, your back hurts. We're going to, we're not going to deadlift. It's like, no. let's slow it down. Let's do a three seconds up, three seconds down. Does it hurt? And you'll be surprised in how it does. That does not hurt yeah. <laughs> uh, when you slow people down. Um, or even just like, like cutting down the range of motion. Like, again, I alluded to this, the squats earlier where it's like, okay, a, like got this goblet squat hurts your back. All right. Okay. Well, let's not squat as deep. Let's maybe go to parallel. Does that take away your pain? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's squat to that then. Let's yeah. own that, do a lot of volume there, and then we can maybe work our way back down. Um, so I think as fitness professionals, we kind of, we kind of like gloss over the obvious where it's like, if someone's in pain, look at your program, look at the volume and maybe tweak that rather than adding in all these correctives and more correctives and this that no one's going to do. Or, and that, that's the stuff that people roll their eyes at, yeah. uh, especially if you're working with athletes, they don't, they don't want to feel like they're going to a, a rehab session. They want to go to a training session. Um, so I think a lot of times, like we, we gloss over the obvious, it's like, okay, well, the more I can make it feel like a, a strength and conditioning session uh, and not corrective purgatory, um, uh, we're, we're doing them a, a better, better service, I believe. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, I think one of the big things that I see um, with a lot of, I don't know if if necessarily young, but just with people in general and say, Oh, that hurts. I'm not going to do it. And I was like, okay, sometimes it's just like, okay, like you said, change the range of motion. It's so abstract. It's so, cause like when you start talking about that pain threshold, like I'm a wimp, like my wife is not like her pain threshold is different than mine. So my three might be her one. You know, my eight might be her three, like who, I mean, maybe that that's a big, this big discrepancy, but you know, there is an education involved. Like to me, I'm like a lot, especially I'm working with the people coming in through rehab, like golfers in the past I've worked with low back pain, you know, they, you're right. Cause a lot of them, they get, they get scared. They get reticent. They're like, Oh, that, 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 Oh, I feel it there. I don't, I shouldn't do that. To me. I'm like, we have to, we kind of have to flirt with that pain threshold because that's the only way you're going to get better. Cause that, cause then the flip side of everything is people, underload themselves and they never get better you yep. know to the point where they're like their pain threshold up here was like this this level but they're training so far below it that they're never going to get better because they're not they're not tinkering or, or flirting with that that pain threshold so to me as long as they don't go above a three they can stay at a three i'm fine yep. with that um and we're just going to do a ton of volume just below that pain threshold and then and that way that's going to bump their threshold up a little bit higher and then we start and we work on our way up. So um, that's how I approach it. Uh, and, I, and I think it, it takes a lot of education and repeating. And I hate repeating myself, but, you know, <laughs> yep. but that, that's part of the job. You have to be very repetitive with your message. Yeah. When, when, when my, I remember somebody told me, you know, they only learn about a quarter of what you say. You only remember about a quarter of what they say. So it's like, okay, so if I just repeat the same thing four times, they're going to get it once, right? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, that's a good way of putting it right uh but yeah i oftentimes use an ex- analogy with people here we're close to the blue ridge shenandoah valley and so i say people go on hiking a lot and say 
All right, if you go hiking, you see a beautiful landscape, you're not going to walk yourself off the edge of a cliff. So you're not going to go past that three or four is what I usually say people. Um, so you're going to get to that edge. You're going to flirt with it, like you said, and then you're going to yeah. back off. You'll take your That's picture. You'll, you'll get to enjoy the landscape, but then you're going to back out off of that. And you're going to re- repeatedly kind of do that to kind of get, get that threshold higher, like you were saying. Sure. So I, yeah, I, I love it. 100% agree um, with that. Let's move on here. Um, wrap this up. I got a mulligan round. Okay, here we go. Essentially, a series of questions that I ask. I'll skip some of the golf ones since you aren't a golfer. (laughs) I know, Uh, yeah. I saw you said something about a club. I was like, uh, uh, I don't know. But what I do, uh, three iron. I hate those things. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So what I what I say is, you know, just give me your first thought, reaction, whatever, and you can skip one if you'd like. That's your mulligan. Okay. All right. So uh, let's see here. What would you pick for your superhero power? Um, I like to absorb others' powers, Ooh, and then I can reflect the power back on them. I think that's a brilliant power to have. I don't know. If, I think it exists. I think there's some like obscure X Men person that had it, but Rogue, um, Rogue, yeah, it's not not obscure at all. No. Like, <laughs> but I feel like that that to me is like the obvious power you'd want. Like then you have them all. Yeah, yeah I don't you know. can. <laughs> you can. So I, I, to me, I think that that'd be the winner to me. That's pretty cool. I haven't had that one before, so that's good. Uh, what's your go-to karaoke song? Oh, shoot. Um, oh, man. I probably... Oh, shoot. Let's see. I'm a big 90s hip-hop guy, so I don't know if there's a lot of mini karaoke. You know, if I had... Okay, if there, if there was a karaoke 90s rap song, I think it would be uh, Fresh Prince, uh, Summertime. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be... I mean, I know it's not singing, but who doesn't like that song? No, that's all good. Um, uh, what's a, Instead of golf term, let's go with... What's the weirdest, uh, you know, lifting term or... or name for an exercise that you've had um oh for a name of an exercise um oh man actually it was funny to me it's not weird but to my clients it's weird like last night I had one of my clients uh do a Spanish squat yeah and she and to her she was like why why is this called a Spanish and for those who don't know what a Spanish squat is you're essentially wrapping one end of a band around a pole or a bar and the other the other ends are behind your knees and you're leaning back and you're holding a, a goblet or a dumbbell in front of you and you're squatting. And the idea is you got a vertical, uh, vertical lower leg and you just put more emphasis on your quads. Um, and with her, I said, Oh, these are Spanish squats. And she was like, what, why are these called? And I actually, I had no answer. I don't know why they're called well, Spanish squats, but, uh, why are Romanian deadlifts <laughs> called Romanian deadlifts. So. True. Yeah. Like our, our Bulgarian split squats called. Um, so yeah, that would be my pick just because it came up last night. All right. Um, what's your favorite exercise or drill? Just in general? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, I love deadlifts. So I think that the deadlift is what's great about it is that you, it, it, you, you, you can, you can contort the individual, you can contort the lift to the individual and not the individual to the lift. So there's many iterations of the deadlift that, you know, all I'm looking is to train the hip hinge. Um, yeah. I call it the, the Einhorst Finkel Finkel's Einhorn. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, um, Ace Ventura, uh, Jim Carrey back Ooh, in the day. I haven't but, seen that forever. <laughs> um, but like, because people think deadlift, like people just inherently think, oh, deadlift, heavy barbell on the ground, you're deadlifting it or you're picking it off the ground. It's like, no, I, I, I want to train the hip hinge. Um, yeah. So there, there are many ways I can train that. And that doesn't mean it could be with a kettlebell, it could be with a trap bar, it could be with a dumbbell, um, it could be with a cable system um so that's really the, I, I really just like the versatility of the lift all right uh what's the takeaway you want everybody to get from today's conversation 
that trainable menu. Like that to me is like the big umbrella theme that I, I really try to instill on fitness professionals in particular, because we're the ones that are dosing our programs and sets and reps and rest periods, but um, just trying to convey that message to them in which they can convey it to their clients. Like, okay, you have a hangnail. Uh, we can still train. Let's go. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, Tony, before we wrap up here, let us know how we can follow you and, and kind of learn more about you. So that would be uh, my website, which is my name. So TonyGentleCore.com. Uh, that's my blog. As you noted, I have many blog posts, uh, all, all my articles from other various websites, but also um, podcasts, resources, social media, um, my, own pro- my own products that I, that I sell on there. Um, so that would be the easiest place to get a hold of me. All right. We'll make sure we get that in the show notes, you guys. Thank you. So you guys can check that out. Uh, that's it for this episode of the Golf Under Power podcast. We will have uh, that information in the below. And thank you so much for all listening. And thank you, Tony, for coming on. Remember, I appreciate it. Thank you. Remember, simple consistency leads to greatness. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Hopefully you've enjoyed this content on the go. If you found it helpful, please share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. This allows us to reach more golfers just like you that want to play under par. Do you want to be stronger and healthier? Well, I've got a resource, Golf Fitness Tips. It's a free Facebook group where we talk about how to take care of our bodies so that we can play more golf, we can play golf longer in life, and we can play better on the course. If that interests you, then check out the link below or search for Golf Fitness Tips on Facebook.